first thing I look at is what is the problem? What is the, pro what is the company trying to solve? What is the problem? Is it a big problem? Is it an important problem? Are customers screaming for this product? You know, do they need, are they trying to solve this problem themselves and failing or uh, uh, are they willing to write checks because you say you'll so solve the problem? You know, that's what they're looking for. And so um, that's the first thing is what is the problem? I, I don't want to talk about the product. I don't want to talk about the team. And I hate companies will send on a 10 pitch deck. They'll spend five pages talking about the products like, dude, this isn't it. Start with the problem. Make me passionate that it's a real issue. Welcome to this episode of Austinpreneur. Today's guest is Gary Forney, chairman of the Central Texas Angel Network, commonly referred to as CTAN. For years, Gary has focused on starting, mentoring, investing in, and growing startups in the Central Texas area. He's a key part of our community, having mentored and or advised for the Austin Technology Incubator, SKU, Techstars, and South by Southwest. He's also been an operator and investor in several local ventures. Gary participated in the heyday of Silicon Valley as an executive at Intel starting in 1984. At Intel, Gary is part of starting four new businesses, including their flash memory business, which exited for over a billion dollars, and the X-Scale cellular business, which exited for 600 million. Gary has also published over 20 articles and papers, chaired committees, and co-authored a book on flash memory technology. Based on this conversation, which was recorded live at Austin Startup Week, it's clear that Gary has no sign of slowing down. On that note, enjoy this episode of Austinpreneur, where you'll learn about Gary's journey, past, present, and future. Welcome to Austinpreneur, our show about the stories that made Austin, Texas a global hub for startups. The show is produced by Capital Factory and hosted by me, Nick Spiller. As a reminder, by joining Capital Factory, you can plug into the ecosystem where the stories on the show were set. Learn more about us at CapitalFactory.com. Welcome, everybody, to this all-access edition of the Austinpreneur Podcast. I'm here with our special guest, Gary Forney. Gary, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Happy to be here. It's, uh, it's good to meet you. Have you been on a podcast before? I have. You have? All right. Good. Well, First time on yours, well, though, so it's exciting. I know. We're excited to help on the show. And got a group of founders here, most of them from Capital Factory. So thanks, everybody, for coming in. I'll, I'll kick it off and got a few questions for, for Gary myself, and then we'll open it up to the room. Full, full seats. All right. Sold out. Well, Gary, let's start. You know, where did you grow up? How did you end up here in Austin, Texas? I grew up in California. Actually, I grew up uh, in the wine country, which sounds pretty Falcon Cresty. It does. Except it wasn't. <laughs> you know, I, I picked apples for the summer. I mean, we were, we were pure blue collar people. Um, but when I went to college, you know, as I graduated as kind of like a freshly minted electrical engineer, uh, I interviewed all up and down the state, and I was very, very attracted to Southern California. You know, beaches, palm trees, sun, it's like, who, who wouldn't want to go down there? And so I interviewed a lot of those companies, but I also interviewed up in Northern California. I don't think it was even called Silicon Valley at the time, where it was just being called that. Mm -hmm. But there are a, a bunch of chip companies up there, and, and I eventually picked one of those chip companies because uh, they were better interviewers. I mean, it wasn't because I thought the product was that much better uh, or there's something about the technology. I thought that's, that's the future. I wasn't that far sighted. It's like these people 
are committed to what they're doing, they're excited, they're asking really smart questions, and the interview was like five hours long. It was, it was a half a day long. I was like, I, I kind of like the people here, and, and I, wanna, I wanna be part of that. And, and I remember when I went back, I was, uh, I was taking grad student classes, but I was an undergrad, and I was telling my, my, my classmates about that, and they're like, oh, that's a great company. Man, you really got in, that's a wonderful company. It's like, a lot of times things just work out even though you didn't really have that plan, right? And so yeah. so uh, I was hired as a product engineer, uh, uh, and, and I worked in Silicon Valley before it was called that, and um, my responsibility was the yield of a product, uh, and the, the, the production, the volume, and the yield of that product. And I did that for a couple of, couple of products, but after about the second or third one, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm done, I can't, I can't do it again. And the company had been growing fast, and so I was able to slide over to marketing because uh, we had just invented this new technology called flash memory. And if you don't know what flash memory is, if you have a cell phone, it's the memory in your cell phone. When they say 256 gigabytes of memory, they're talking 256 gigabytes of flash memory. Uh, and so we had invented that, we were just spinning that up. And I was in, in marketing, and I got to go out and visit customers and, and, and talk to our sales force. And things that I had never been aware of became very apparent. My responsibility was to write the data sheets for the products. And, and the customers are like, that's not the problem. The problem is not the data sheets or the application. The problem is we need software for these chips that you're making. And, and that's what's holding us back. And so you know, I, I went back and, and we had some software engineers and they were working on different things. We kind of like pulled them all together. And so now I'm in marketing and I'm running a software group inside of marketing because that's what our customers needed. And it wasn't 40 lines of code kind of stuff. It was 70 man year files. They were huge, huge applications. And, and we gave them away with our chips and, and it was so valuable. I, I distinctly remember when uh, I was working on this, uh, 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 this product line that uh, we got a $3 billion purchase order, billion dollar purchase order because not just for the chips, but because of the custom packaging and the software we were giving. It was just easier to use our products than to design in um, a second source competitor. And so that mentality of what we would now call reducing customer friction was kind of unheard of, but we, we, we moved more and more in this direction of complete solution. Uh, and so I did that for a while and then moved into uh, our cell phone chip group and engaged with those people. Uh, and, and so we would go out to customers and cell phones were, uh, they were Nokia bricks. They looked like a king size Snicker bar. And, you know, and, and the dual functionality was you could make a call on it or you could throw it at somebody. Yeah. That was literally the only other I, thing you could I, do with a phone. I remember throwing yeah, those things it, against a concrete wall so hard they and were nothing robust. happened. Those was, Nokia was, 100s were robust. They were, yeah. little, little antenna that pulled out of them. But uh, we could see in, in our group, uh, we could see, oh, this is going to have the full functionality of, of a laptop. And, and laptop mm. was cutting edge at the time, remember? Right. So laptop was cutting edge. We could see it was going to have that functionality. And, uh, and it really put us at odds with the rest of, of Intel because Intel was about servers and desktops and notebooks. And here we are, this little group making, you know, sub, sub, sub fraction of 1% of our business making risk-based processors that were competitive with kind of this bigger uh, uh, money machine at, at Intel. And so eventually it, it became clear that this isn't going to work. Yeah. You guys can't be here. And, and, and we were pretty brazen and almost unabashed in, in our behaviors. Like, this is the future. And it's hard to say when 99.9% you know, .9 of your revenue comes from over here and you're the little pipsqueak saying, this is the future. Uh, and so uh, Paul Adelini, our boss, told us, you're out. 
Uh, and uh, and he, he got some good money. I mean, he got $600 million for our business. So it was, it was a substantial amount of money. Uh, and the company that bought us was Marvell Semiconductor. And they said, um, they, they, they asked me, where do you want to run your business unit from? And it was like, the offer was San, San Jose, Boston, Massachusetts, and Austin, Texas. And we had lived in San Jose. I was like, yeah, we're not particularly interested in doing that anymore. And I'm thinking, Boston, man, you're on the ocean. MIT, Harvard, great school, seafood. This Oysters, is awesome. Yeah. Let's, let's, yes, let's do Boston. Uh, and, and my wife just had one question. So does it snow there? <laughs> <laughs> so she picked Austin, and here we are. There you uh, go. Uh, uh, so, it, you know, we don't, neither of us regret it. Awesome. Uh, love, been here almost 20 years. Uh, it's a great place, and, and it really, 20 years ago, it was nothing like it is today, but even then you could see, one, it's really unique, and two, it's, it's going in a great direction. Yeah. I, ironically, the first year we were here, it snowed. <laughs> uh, apparently that does happen here, we've, it, it's as we've, not often. we've learned. And, so, and of course, what was the, the name of that early chip company? Uh, that was Intel. Intel. Yeah, it, was, it was a little chip company at the time, right? Uh, but it became a much bigger chip yeah, company. Yeah. And thinking back your time there at a you know, pivotal Silicon Valley company, are there any major lessons that you learned that you hold with you closely today and throughout your career? Yeah, I, I, I really have to say, you know, I was frustrated at Intel at the very end, the last I was there over 20 years, so last five years or so, uh, because things were just taking too long, right? And so if you're in the startup space, the real advantage in startups is you can make decisions and implement them that day. But when you're at a 100,000 person company, um, you schedule an hour slot a week for quarters on end to, you know, it takes, it takes 40 miles to turn a super tanker around, and that's how big companies are. And that's one of the huge values of startups is you move faster, just right. move faster, right? And so um, while I was frustrated with that, there were certain base lessons of working at, at Intel that uh, I have kept with me my whole life. It was a old school paternalistic company. I mean, we had a late list. You know, we had flexible hours. You had to be in before eight, and you could leave any time after five, and that was considered flexible hours. Uh, and you could work from home as long as your cubicle was named home. That, that was it, right? And so, you know, there was certainly working from home is productive if you have a task, just grind on. But if you have to interact with people, um, working from home is, is a net negative. More interaction is better. And so ideas get better from editing them with multiple people. And so that's one of the things I, I learned there is like, okay, you need to be in the office, you need to uh, work hard on these things. Um, the people I was with were so committed. I remember my first week there, I'm like this freshly minted engineer. I still got dew on my leaves. And I'm sitting in this meeting with a table about this size. It was a four-person conference room, so two more chairs over there. Uh, I'm not four feet from uh, the person across the table. It's me, product engineer, my boss, the product, market, uh, the product engineering manager, and the marketing manager. And we're going over our, this product that I'm, I'm going to pick up and the, and the yield of the product. And the marketing manager is getting more and more frustrated. And it, pretty soon he's standing in a room this size, right? I could reach out and touch. He's standing yelling full volume about how we're taking too long on testing and how this is not moving fast enough and how customers are going to go lines down because uh, uh, of, of us not moving fast enough. He is 100% in to what he's talking about. He believed. And, and you know, while that was uh, eye-opening as a freshly minted college grad, 
I 100% got the message. He was in it. He was not here for the money. He was passionately involved in our business. Uh, and that was, that was actually very exciting and, and, and is one of the reasons I chose Intel, one of the reasons I stayed there for so long. In fact, uh, uh, I ended up working for Bruce, that marketing manager. That's who I transferred over to work for. I was like, man, I want that, that energy and that passion. And so that passion was there and, and that commitment about time and being there. And we also did a lot of planning. So we had a three-year plan. We had a one-year plan. We had quarterly MBOs. And, and this is one of the, the frustrations I have with startups that I, I, I either invest in or, or join. And I join a, a lot of startups uh, for like a two-year block to kind of get them to the next level, not forever. And uh, is where's the planning? Where's your, where's your commitment? Where's that MBO using those SMART acronyms so that you measure them, you grade them, you provide feedback? And you know, where are your KPIs? We did KPIs at Intel, uh, uh, key performance indicators, right? We measured the metrics. They went all the way to the CEO desk and he read them. It was like, I'm responsible for a product that is infinitesimally small in, in, the, in the scope of, of what we did at Intel. He knew the yields of my product every week. In fact, the, uh, one of the operators had on her phone, it was his phone number. This is um, just before email became popular. She would call with the yields every week. <laughs> how, how do people do that, right? I mean, and, and we probably had 1,500 products, and yet he knew the yields. One time I ended up uh, being on the shuttle with him, going between facilities. It was like an hour-long hour, hour long bus ride. He, he grilled me on the yield of my product. This is Andy Grove. He grilled me on the yield of my product. There was just two of us on the shuttle. Uh, and I, I was physically exhausted from the, from the verbal grilling I got from this guy who's probably 65 years old at the time uh, and, and, you know, sharp as a whip. I finally had to start asking questions because I was never going to survive this trip if, uh, if I didn't start asking questions and get on the offensive. Uh, it was, that's the kind of commitment uh, and passion and focus on the numbers that I learned there. Now, there are other things I, I learned. You can't right. be slow about making decisions. You've got to be fast. You've got to move forward. But those kind of early lessons have been so valuable. And I worry that um, people don't get those lessons. They need to teach that in school. That was, is one of the most valuable things I learned. Yeah. And, it, you know, you can tell when someone's fully in on something or they're just acting like they're fully in on something. And, you know, yeah. everyone's walking around, but I, I'm sure for you, having a lot more experience than I, uh, but even for me interacting with entrepreneurs, I can tell like who's here to, for business and who gets it and you know who showed up just unprepared and not having the right answers or, or knowing basic things like your yield or whatever KPI you're looking at in your business. And it, it is, after you've been in the business for a bit, pretty easy to, to spot that out. It is, it is. And in fact, as investors, we have a phrase for that. Is the CEO willing to, come on, somebody help me out. Eat glass. Eat glass. That's exactly <laughs> right. Will the CEO eat through glass to make this successful? Yeah, yeah. Right? And if, if they have that, like, I am good, this, you know, I, I remember watching the movie The Martian, right? And, and, he, and, and I, I forgot the, the name of the character, but he says, Mars will rue my, rue, rue my botany powers. He's like, I will be successful growing these crops here, right? And it's like that mentality of is what you want in your CEO. So how did you get into startups and angel investing after you know, time at, at Intel? Which was, I mean, first, was Intel a startup when you were there? No, Intel started in 68. I, yeah. I probably got there in the beginning of the 80s, yeah. early 80s. So it, the PC hadn't taken off. Yeah. So yeah. 
it was like the months before the PC took off. Uh, but once the PC took off, then yeah. Intel became what Intel became. Um, uh, so Intel sold our business to Marvell, moved me to Austin. I, I did my stock option handcuffed two years of indentured servitude. And then, uh, and then I, I immediately you know, popped off the stack into startups. And, and uh, it's like, okay, I'm a free man. What do I want to do? And uh, so I went to some startup pitches. I know we have one here. Like 15 minutes after we're done here. And I guarantee I'll be in that. Are you going to that? Uh, yeah. I'm, absolutely I'm, be there. I want to hear the new I'm, ideas. I'm judging that. Yeah. Oh, are you? Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I got to get over there. I'll, I'll give you like this kind of like. <laughs> okay, yeah. Just, I want to talk to that one. Yeah, whatever you say. <laughs> I'm your proxy. So, uh, I, and I went, to some, I went to a startup pitch at a startup event. And, and 10 guys pitched. And it's like, two of them are like, hey, that's, that's kind of cool. You know, and, and for me, kind of cool is it's going to change something about some industry. I'm not even industry specific but it's gonna disrupt an existing industry. It's gonna bring something innovative. It's taken a new look on a business model or brought a new technology in or it has something unique about it. It's not 5% better or 10% better. It's, it's an order of magnitude improvement over what was ever, faster, smaller, cheaper. It doesn't really matter, but it's a big change. And two guys had something, wow, that's pretty cool. And uh, I ran into a guy named Hall Martin at the time. And I didn't know what he did for a living, but he seemed like a guy who knew a lot of people. And I asked him for a uh, introduction. Uh, and he was kind enough to make, I didn't know him from Adam, right? So I just met him at an event. Uh, it turns out he's, he's the head of the, is the executive director for the Texas Entrepreneurial Network. At the time, he was the executive director for CTAN. Oh, really? I had no idea. One, I'd never heard of CTAN. Yeah. And, and two, I had no idea that was his role. And he never told me. Uh, and so we met for lunch. He says, I say, these are the guys I'm trying to meet. And he says, yeah, yeah, I know those guys. I'll, I'll hook you up. And so he gives me this warm intro. I go in, uh, I meet with both of them. Uh, and uh, with the second one, uh, Brendan, uh, you know, I said, hey, I saw your pitch. I think your technology is really exciting. Um, you know, it was really tactful. I, I think there's some things we could do on your deck and on your pitch. I could help you, help you with that, you know, just make you more successful going forward. And he said, sure. And so I, I spent four or five hours kind of tearing apart his deck, uh, revising it, you know, one idea on a page, tagline on the bottom, that, you know, and then, and then walking through, this is how you walk, this is how you talk, you don't, you don't rock back and forth, you take two steps, you know, you be thoughtful about what you're doing and you're presenting. Uh, and, and at Intel, every executive had to teach at Intel University, and so I taught presentation skills. So I was like, this, this really works out pretty well. Randomly, this works out pretty well for you, Brendan. Uh, and, uh, he went to present to an angel group that night. Uh, and the next day I went in for a postmortem because one of the things I learned at Intel is you postmortem everything, whether it worked or not. You want to know the results and you want to be inquisitive as to why that worked or didn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, and he comes back and says, uh, pitch went well. I never want to do that again. Would you be the CEO? <laughs> and, and that was literally how that, that discussion went. Uh, and that's how I uh, became the CEO of, of my first company. Uh, and we had nine angel investors, four of whom were from CTAN. And so now I met leave, living and breathing angels from CTAN and they were so generous with their time and so giving and so mentoring because I was a first time CEO. There were lots of things I didn't know. There were things I was not doing right. Uh, and they gave me feedback, they opened the Rolodexes, they hooked me up with, and, and gave me the direction I needed to, to be more productive. Uh, and so that's how I got into startups, and that's how I, it was my first introduction into CTAN. Yeah. All random. Like, it wasn't like organized. It's like, here's my vision of how I'm going to be an angel. Nope. 
totally uh, random ping pong ball moving between things, but yeah, well, be you, open to ideas. You're a product of the culture that you've immersed yourself in, and you're going back to the Intel days and the interviews, and wasn't about the, the chip design or right. the financials. It was like, yeah, hey, I like these people, you know? And then, you know, with CTAN, they were, you know, obviously we'll get more into it, but they were door openers and, and stewards, and you know, it seems like that's a, a big part of you. Like, you kind of lean into these people that, that yeah, you, you vibe with and, and, you know, connect with, and that leads to the energy it takes to go work on a business or even just for you to go and, and help that entrepreneur before you're a CEO that led to this path of, of becoming the CEO of your first startup. Yep, absolutely right. I, and I think, I think technologists tend to forget it's really all about people. Right? Nothing gets done without people. People right? make so decisions. People make decisions. People choose to buy your product, choose to sell your product, choose to buy your product. You have to have the engagement with people to really be successful. So what is the broader historical significance of CTAN, the group you lead today? So um, CTAN's been around since 2006, right? We've been here in Austin for, for, since 2006, uh, investing in companies. Right now, there's a little over 100 members, 100 angels in CTAN. We've invested a little over 200 companies. Um, we put in about 125, 130 million in, into those companies. So we've been moving along. Uh, obviously, we went through the pandemic just like everybody else. Uh, and um, we became a virtual organization for a couple of years. This, earlier this year was the first year we started meeting again in person. All right? It was the first we be, began meeting again in person. So you know, the pandemic's either over or it's endemic or it's however you want to think of it, but you know, time to move on. Uh, and so we've been meeting in person and now we're kind of like reawakening from our slumber and kind of reaching out, um, doing more engagements with the ecosystem. Uh, we did a lunch and learn here at Capital Factory Friday. Uh, uh, Gordon's great, participated in that with us. Uh, he did the Angel Academy for our angel training on Friday night. Loved, loved what was going on there. And, and I've committed to Gordon that we're going to do more here at Capital Factory. We'll have a office hours, which is where we bring in 20 or 30 angels, and we meet one-on-one -on -one with companies, and we'll dedicate that to Capital Factory. We, we do it at Opportunity Austin. We do it at the Chamber of Commerce, where uh, growing, giving back and growing entrepreneurs in, in the greater Austin area. And so we'll continue to do that. Um, but it's really been like coming back from a slumber. And, and so uh, that's one of the things we're really focused on is, is making that happen, reaching out. Right. And what would you say is the real value proposition to founders of CTAN? Like why do they want to connect with you? I think it's coming out, but what's the, the, the you know, what would you say there? So, so angels invest for a reason, right? So uh, that reason, but that reason is different. So some angels invest because they've been successful in the business and they want to give back. So there's this mentality of giving back. Some are, they want to stay current in a business. And so they want to be involved with this young new startup who's going in the direction they want. Um, but pretty much all of them have the same mentality of, and we want to make money doing this, right? And so there, there's always that underlying don't squander money, right? And so, you know, a lot, like many of them are, many angels are engineers, and engineer and efficiency are almost the same word, right? We don't squander things, right? right. Um, and so, uh, most of them want to engage with the companies they invest in, open their Rolodex, make introductions, review strategic plans, have a discussion about trends and indicators. Mm -hmm. uh, and the more an entrepreneur does that, 
um, the, the more value they get out of the out of the the, board, the CTAM member, yeah. who is frequently a board member. Right. Right. And and for entrepreneurs seeking funding, uh, what is CTAN's process through that? Ah, so um, we have a pretty rigorous process, and and so anybody who's worked with us. Uh, you know, kind of comes gives us that feedback. Is like I've talked to other angel groups, and they, they don't do it like this. It's it's a less rigorous process. So we gather um, entrepreneurs send in or apply. We gather their their information. Usually it's a one pager. Usually it's a pitch deck. Other information, uh, and our members look at it online and do like a first cut. Actually, the first cut comes from uh, the the internal staff. Internal staff looks at it, and the investment committee looks at it. Make sure it meets our criteria, and so we have a specific criteria. Uh, our criteria, you know, one, we don't do safe notes, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs want to do safe notes. We don't do safe notes. We do uh, bridge loans, we do uh, equity, but everything is equity focused, right? We're we're investors. We want to own part of this company, um, so we don't do straight debt. We don't do safe notes. Um, one of the things that we struggle with is uh, you think you, you laugh, but. Uh, we don't do things that are illegal. <laughs> you go, well, that's kind of obvious. All, all the fun but stuff. you'd be surprised how many things get uh, factored out that right. were illegal. Right. So there's a whole series of these kind of things that get factored out. Or, or you, you want to raise $40 million. Yeah, well, $40 million is not an angel round. So don't waste your money and our time by applying through. You need to be doing VCs for that. So you know, is, it, is it kind of in our kind of square, right? Or is it in our sandbox? So that investment kid will kind of do that first cut. The second cut, uh, we have an online uh, review. Uh, we go through and see uh, angels all vote. All 100 angels vote on every, every deal that comes through. Uh, and so we might have 60 or 70 deals that come through, take a look at, do a first cut voting, and maybe let's say 30 make it through to the end. So maybe cut by half, 30 make it to pitch night, where they'll do an online pitch. So we'll do a Zoom call, everybody call in this pitch. Angels will vote there. And then we'll get to like this top five, right? And these are the ones that come to a formal pitch dinner. Uh, and, and so they'll have 10 minutes to pitch, 10 minutes of Q&A. Uh, the amount of time can vary. But the point of having that is we want to focus on those five top runners. And we want to see you. We want to talk to you. We want to have a sense of body language. Mm -hmm. Not just the company. It's not the product. A lot of times, um, you know, one of the major decision factors is the CEO, right? The people. Uh, and we want, to, we, want to be the, we want to see that. So if you're a CEO, it's like, I'd, I'd rather do it on Zoom. It's like, okay, but recognize you're going to derate yourself a little bit there. You know, back to that in-person matters. So, you know, that's, that's how it gets. And then we kick off due diligence. So that's a whole lot of stuff, right? Those happen every three days to a week to get through each one of those steps. It doesn't take all that long. Uh, and then we kick off due diligence, and we do a hefty due diligence analysis. So, you know, we've got 100 angels. They're all domain experts in something, and they all have Rolodexes, right? And so they're going to reach out to their friends because they're putting their money at stake in your company. They really want to know your company. And so we'll write a 40-page due diligence report on your company. We'll call your customers. We'll call your competitors. We'll uh, analyze your patents. We'll talk to all your people. We'll talk to uh, anybody we know in the industry to have a sense of, is this something that would be successful? We write it up and then we'll run the financials. And not just the financials that you give us, we'll run the financials of what the company needs to sell for in order for it to be a good investment for a, an angel level, angel level person. And we'll do all of that. And we'll have a 40-page due diligence memo uh, that we write up that we invest on. And so it, it's a process. It's a, we put 40 to, eight hour, 40 to 80 hours into every investment. 
Yeah. And so this is for you know, angel investors, obviously taking it pretty seriously and, and not just writing a check on the on the Yeah, we don't do it on the fly. And, Nothing, yeah, nothing's yeah, happening yeah, on the fly. Yeah, yeah. So but how would you characterize angels in respect to VCs and then and then to say just like family family and friends or, or yeah. kind of yeah. So there's really like in my mind there's three rounds of funding. Yeah. Not that every company needs all three rounds. Yeah. But there's, uh, and angels are kind of in the middle of that three rounds, right? So there's that first group, I, I think of it as the three Fs, family and friends and fools, because you're investing uh, because you're emotionally tied to that entrepreneur. You, you love them, they're your son, uh, spouse, whatever, right? Uncle, somebody, um, and you're putting money in because it's just PowerPoint. Uh, it's, right. just, it's just a pitch at that point in time. They don't have a product, right? And as that, idea, that germ of an idea kind of grows and, and sprouts, then you're moving past that uh, family friends round, you know, into kind of the seed plus series A level. And, and so now you have something, right? You have uh, some kind of sign of life and sign of life could be anything, right? It could be you have an MVP. Let's imagine it's a software company. You have an MVP, you have an alpha code. Customers are testing your code. Potential customers are testing your Maybe you have uh, customers actually paying. A couple of customers are paying, a couple are testing. In any, in any case, you've removed some risk from the table, right? So I've got something working and I've got some customer interest. You've removed some risk from the table. Now you're starting to talk about that might be a business. Okay, that's an angel level round, right? You've got something. It isn't you're you know, making $100 million a year. That's That's way past angel level, right? You, you should be self-funding or, or you're going to scale and, and look for bigger money. But it's, I've got some kind of revenue or I've got some software that's moving along. And it could be hardware, it could be clothing, it could be uh, energy bar. You know, I'm talking about things, I've invested in all of those things, right? And so you've got something that shows there's a potential here. VC is that next level. VC is just gas, right? You figured out the business model, you have customers, you want to scale a sucker. And so I need $20 million to take this thing nationally. I've proven the business model. I did that with the angel money. Uh, now I want to hit the gas. That's VC money. And so VC money is like 10 million and up. Right. If you need 10 million up, you're talking to a VC. You could argue, okay, well, what, where does private office fit in there? Where do microcaps fit in there? Those are just shadings of the same thing, right? You're either a half angel and half VC, or kind of that gap between 5 million at the angel level and 10 million at the VC level. So those are just shadings of the same. Those three criteria, family and friends, angel, VC. Right. And yeah, as you go through those different rounds, you're raising at different valuations and different ticket sizes. And there's kind of all these different, it's almost like a video game player. There's different attributes uh, to each class of investor as you continue through the, the continuum of, of funding. They all have their own math. Yeah. So yeah. You know, yeah. at some point I might talk about angel math, right? It's different than VC math. I've got to calculate in what are the future rounds you're going to do and monies you're going to raise. What does that do to the return I'm going to get? Right. Am, uh, you know, is your valuation such that I will make the money, I will get the return I need on this business to be able to fund the next generation how, of how startups? How much more do I need to invest yeah, after yeah, this yeah, initial yeah, round? Yeah, yeah. You know, do I keep my pro rata share? That's yeah, exactly right. There's, yeah. there's a lot of uh, calculations that go into it. And, and so from... Uh, you know, hands-on perspective, do you feel angels or VCs are more involved in the businesses that they get into from, from your perspective? Uh, I, th I think we get involved in different ways, right? So 
when angels get involved in business, um, it's three guys and a dog, right? It, it, it's not a big business, right? And, and it's, they need much like, like uh, the original CTN angels did with me. Um, you know, they need some more basic direction. Uh, and uh, uh, as, as you've moved up to VC levels of, of funding, um, they need less uh, hands-on direction, more strategic direction. And so angels will usually take a board seat. Whoever is the lead angel will usually take a board seat. Uh, and that board seat may be given up as a VC gets engaged. And so the angel may step back or they may move to the independent board seat uh, as, because the VC will probably want to take a board seat. Uh, and so we engage differently. Neither the angels or the VCs really want to take control of the company, right? Our business is not to run your company. Uh, it's to give you some direction and some nudging to move you in the right direction so you're up and to the right. Same mentality for the VCs. They don't want to run your company. In fact, it's probably a fail. It's like, ah, if I'm stuck running this company, then <laughs> I invested poorly. It's not plan A. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not plan A. That's right. Got it. Okay, and then, and then for entrepreneurs raising today, and maybe specifically trying to raise from CTAN, what advice do you have in, in this uh, day and age we're, we're living in? Yeah, so um, any entrepreneur trying to find money now, it's tough, tough road to hoe. I'm sorry. It, it, you know, it's been tough for the last two years. Uh, and it will continue to be tough. You know? And so one indicator you should have is the Fed has not lowered interest rates, right? So money is tied up. Fed just, just announced another uh, keeping the rates at the same level. The Fed hasn't lowered rates for since 2020. So, you know, the rates continue here. It's not that the rates are super high, but money is tied up. Right? And so one of the things you want to be looking for is when do those rates come down? As the Fed starts lowering the rates, that says the economy's doing better. It's more what they had in mind in terms of inflation. Money starts to free up. That's when it's going to be easier to raise money. But that's really talking about the kind of the macro story. And, and, and to a large extent, that's talking about Series B. Um, if, you're, if, if you're an early stage startup, Series A or Seed, money is a lot more free, even as hard as it may be to raise money. Uh, money is a lot more free at the seed level than the Series B. Uh, so today, what could you do to increase your chances? Uh, you know, one thing is um, know the thesis of who you want to raise money from, right? So angel investors are focused on those things I talked about earlier, right? They have a sandbox, and every angel group is a little bit different. VCs, um, and by the way, angel, we have a we have a website at Central Texas Angel Network. Go to the website, read everything on the website. It, look at all the portfolio. That'll give you a sense of uh, who we invest in. And, and in fact, Katie and I've had talk about, we should put the portfolio on the website because uh, it would make it a lot easier. So go, uh, when you're talking about VCs, like, talk about the local VCs. We have Silverton right here in town, right? So you got Kip and Morgan and Roger and, and, so, and Mike, they have a website. Their site says they specifically invest in um, disruptive, innovative technologies. Okay, well, that's, that's you sh if you're not one of those, don't be applying to Zilberton. Same thing uh, when, when you go over to Live Oak. They specifically say on their website, we invest in Texas. Okay, if you're in Louisiana, it's probably not a good choice of people to, to apply to. So know the thesis of, of who you invest in. And, and that's, you know, probably separates out a significant percentage of who you play with. 
I often recommend entrepreneurs listen to uh, the podcasts that their investors have been on mm -hmm. uh, to get a little deeper into their, their investment thesis and, and understand what that, that means to them. Absolutely. And then, so what are you investing in at CTAN or what, what, what's CTAN's focus? So we invest uh, broadly. We don't have any areas uh, marked off that we don't invest in. So historically, it's been about a third uh, software, a third uh, hardware, uh, and a third, and when I say hardware, I mean consumer product goods, you know, hard things, consumer product goods, actual hardware in terms of technology, and then a third over in the biomed health life sciences space. Um, I'd say with the advent of UT and having a med center here, we're starting to see a fair number of uh, more bio life science kind of stuff. But, you know, we, we still think of it in those kind of broader three groups, even if we, one starts to grow a little larger. So we invest across, across the board. And, and in fact, one of the things we think is one of our, uh, our secret powers is because we invest across the board, we get the best of each of those. And so um, I, I give an example. We invested in a, a pharma company. Uh, and, and the team here has told me I'm not allowed to name names. So I'm going to be sensitive to that and make sure I, I do a good job with this. Um, but you know, they, they're a pharma company who, who had a, a new business model, which was we're going to take existing drugs and apply them to new problems that need to be solved and see which ones work. And so that's a creative idea, and by the way, a lot faster. So, uh, and so these are all FDA-approved drugs, right? And so um, they had a 70x return on cash. So they sold uh, 70x, so you put in 100, got out 7 million, right? So it was, it was a great return on investment, 70x. We had uh, a one focused in the, uh, in the space industry. It was about standardizing um, payloads uh, for space, uh, 50 plus X return. And we had one doing software for EMS, 30X return. So there's, those are home runs. And, and let's understand those are clear home runs. Not every company is like that. In fact, many aren't like that. Um, we get a lot of uh, companies we invest in that aren't home runs. In fact, the, uh, the average in, in the angel world uh, is uh, out of every 10 investments, seven are not going to return your money. They'll go to zero or you get something less than your money back, right? Uh, so that's pretty poor odds. 70% fail, right? And, and one or two will be what we call base hits. You know, they'll give you your money back plus, you know, maybe uh, 2x return, right? Uh, and, then, and then one needs to be a home run, 10x or better. And so that's core investor math. You need to know that because in, that's, those are real results, right, in the angel world. So if we don't get that home run in, in 10 companies, we are losing money going, going down the investment. So it's really important that we, we find those home runs. Every company we invest in, needs to look like that 10x return. Every time we invest, we're always thinking it's a 10x return. Uh, and we're always disappointed when it's not. And to be honest, we're always surprised when it's not. Uh, just you like get, the You gotta get the 10x <laughs> conviction behind every yes. one, even though you're knowing seven out of 10 yep. will likely fail. And, and so as an entrepreneur, you need to know that. It needs to look like a 10x return to an to a investor. If it doesn't look like a 10x return, they can't invest in your company. They might love you, they might like, love the, the industry or the product, they can't invest in you because there will be no money to give to the next guy. So um, the average angel network uh, has a return of 2.5x. You know, that's the return, the return of cash, right? So uh, CTAN's done better than that because we have a more rigorous process. It's, it's not secret. We spend more time on it, we get a better return, right? It, uh, it always comes back to hard work. And so our, our average return is 4.9x, almost 5x. So 
you know, that's a great return on investment. It's an IR. It works out to about an IR, about 31% a year. So compare that to the S&P 500, which is 13%, or NASDAQ, which is 15%. So back to that concept of the angels still expect to make money doing this, right? It's, it's a give back thing. It's a, I want to stay current thing, but I want to make money. Right. And so that, it, is a, it is a make money thing. Table stakes, you've got to make yep. money. That's so right. how many companies does CTAN target to fund every year? So it, it varies. Um, we look to fund about eight companies a year. That's our goal is eight companies a year. That's, we, we have six investment cycles a year. Uh, we usually take you know, the, the holidays off, and, and, and usually the middle of the summer is, yeah, it's Austin. Everybody vacates, right? So um, aside from that, we do about one every six weeks, uh, and we try to get at least one, if not two, uh, across that time. But it varies. Sometimes it's zero, sometimes it's two uh, per cycle. Uh, with a, with the goal of having about eight, and you mentioned not investing in safe notes. Can you explain more about why you don't do that? Yeah, you, you really need to. As an entrepreneur, you're all about your product, right? And and so if you're doing a great job, you're thinking about it from the customer's perspective. What does your customer need in your product? When you're going out and pitching investors, you need to be thinking it from the investor's point of view. And safe notes are just not really well designed for the investor, right? So it doesn't protect us. It's not equity. You can hold on our money as long as it takes for you to get to that next round. It might be forever. There's no maturity you date. You have no, there's no maturity date, frequently no interest. There's no warrants that come with it. There's, you know, and, and by the way, you're low on the uh, totem pole when it terms, if, if the company goes out of business and, and they, they divvy up the cash, right? So from an investor point of view, we're not thrilled with that. We want you to be thinking about us. We, you know, it's our money. We, we want to make sure it doesn't get lost. Hi, sir. Joe Guzman. I'm the CEO of Space Cowboy ADR. We're in the space industry, and I just wanted your thoughts. You mentioned that you invested in a space company before. Get your thoughts on uh, where you think the space, econ the space economy is going. Um, a lot of estimates that it's going to reach a tr trillion dollars within a decade and, and, and those kind of things. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, my thoughts have changed dramatically in the last seven years on space. I, I, I remember when that company came around, and it's like, space? <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> and I knew the CEO. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm an angel. I'm, I'm not NASA. Why would I invest in space? I thought angels there's, come from space. Yeah, he's like, yeah. So there's, there's like, what, two people who could acquire the company, NASA and the European equivalent? And it's like, that doesn't even make sense. This is, this is crazy talk. And, and, it, and now every billionaire in the world has a space company. It's like, what? In there, <laughs> so you don't want my opinion. I have no knowledge of of why and how that works. Clearly, it's a marketplace. Uh, there's there's always been innovation going on there, but it's not just innovation from massive government entities. Now it's innovation from small companies who have more than just two places to sell the product. Who would have guessed this ten years ago? It's like oh, this is amazing. That that that's exciting development. Yeah, well. You're not the only one. A couple of people did. It's like, damn. He's a space operator. He's been watching. watching yeah, I, I, I founded a company a with a, a software engineer from NASA, and, and even he was like, "What the hell?" Capital Factory has an investment in a company called Intuitive Machines, and they recently went went public on the Nasdaq and are scheduled to be the first American company to land on the moon. Uh, in January of next year. And that'll, and it'll be the only retail company that any of you can go buy stock in 
um, at that moment. Uh, at least U.S. retail uh, investors can can do it. So, yeah, we've made dozens of investments in the space, and and I know Josh has been in it. I mean, every time I go to my office, I have to walk past uh, all these R two D two and E T <laughs> and 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 Star Wars kind of things. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting stuff, and definitely kind of tickles your your science fiction imagination a little bit and um we won't get into the alien side of everything but you know, that's, that's <laughs> something as well so yes sir yeah so uh, clay simmons um i'm the founder of stow here we're um airbnb approach to vehicular storage um and also a, a, a capital factory uh, portfolio company um so i am uh learning the uh the angel networks uh, obviously angel investor i understand quite well but the networks themselves is I've learned a lot, so thank you for, for, for sharing all your insights today. Um, but you've talked a lot like it is a collective. In other words, um, you are collectively going and making decisions you know, on behalf of the group. And um, I'd love to get your perspective if an investor, one particular investor within uh, CTAN wanted to invest and didn't have that collective, then how, you know, how would you approach that? And then also to, um, you know, does does a, a network like CTAN or other angel networks, are they um, going to consider the entire seed round or are they going to be the lead in a seed round? Um, I'd love to get your perspective on kind of um, what percentage of the seed that a, the network collective would, would pursue. Yeah, so great question, great question. So uh, it's a great question because Angels invest individually, right? So we invest our own personal money in any deal we, we engage with. But uh, the goal with CTAN, the Central Texas Angel Network, is to invest individually as a group. Weird, right? Individually as a group. Uh, and, and to make that even more complex, we frequently syndicate with our sister angel groups that aren't in Central Texas to put even more money into a deal. So. Um, I might be, so back to your question of how does this really work? So um, we, we talked about the process to go through that uh, Intel, go, not, not Intel, sorry, wow, that's historical, <laughs> that CTAN goes through to, to make a decision about investing. Um, in that due diligence activity, the actual angels investing are doing the due diligence, right? They're doing all, it bubbles to the surface, let's say organically, sometimes forced, but organically. Um, the person who's going to kind of chair that deal. And I, I've done it a few times. I've, I've, I've been a follower a few times. So it, it bubbles to the surface, a deal lead. Um, and they are the deal lead. They're frequently the person who also takes the board seat. Um, they, and so the, I'll, we'll do the last one I invested in. Uh, I was a deal lead. We wrote this deal memo. I also reached out to or gave warm introductions to the entrepreneur because we put in a specific all of my angels put in a specific amount of money but he needed more money uh, and so well why don't you go down and I'll introduce you to um, the Alamo angels and I'll introduce you to geekdom and I'll introduce you to the Houston area angels at network and Tan and the Aggie angels and so all together I, we probably made we I'll say in this case I don't use the I very often I made eight introductions for him as the deal lead he closed those deals. I didn't close those deals. I, I never made his pitch for him. He went and closed. But we worked together. We, we gave those other angel networks our 40-page due diligence memo, and they said, 
sweet because who doesn't like somebody doing the homework for them, right? So sweet, they, they did some additional work on their own, but it's a nice starting point. That's how we work individually and collectively. Thank you, Gary, thank you, Nick. Uh, uh, I'm Valentine, uh, CEO of Big Sister AI, and I have maybe a question not about space, more easily, <laughs> yeah, topic. Um, you, you like a uh, tech product which uh, solve uh, some clear and maybe real uh, customer's problem, and what uh, problems uh, did, uh, had not uh, solved now in sales industry, in sales? If you're making a product that's going to solve problems in the sales industry, every single company wants that solution, right? So, so um, you know, one of the things I, I didn't talk about in, in any of the discussion was, you know, what is my investment philosophies, right? So I, I have a process, a personal process. We talked about CTAN's process. I have a process. I, I call it P3B. And, and so it, it's, a, it's a pretty rigorous process. First thing I look at is what is the problem? What is the, pro what is the company trying to solve? What is the problem? Is it a big problem? Is it an important problem? Are customers screaming for this product? You know, do they need? Are they trying to solve this problem themselves and failing, or uh, uh, are they willing to write checks because you say you'll so solve the problem? You know, that's what they're looking for. And so, um, that's the first thing. Is what is the problem? I, I don't want to talk about the product. I don't want to talk about the team. And I hate companies will send on a ten pitch deck. They'll spend five pages talking about the product. It's like, dude, this isn't it. Start with a problem. Make me passionate that it's a real issue. Um, I can tell you that in the sales space, every company I've ever run needs more help in sales. We might have great people. I'm not saying the people aren't good, but we need better process. Every time, I, I hate Salesforce with a passion. But it's better than nothing, yeah. right? Uh, I, I hated HubSpot with a passion. But it's better than nothing. It's like you can go through all of the CMs out there. No salesperson likes the CRM they're working with. If you have a better tool, it'll be adopted immediately, especially if it has a decent pricing model. Um, so we talked about the problem. The next thing is the product. Now that I'm, I'm wed to the problem, now we can talk about your product. And I want to know things about, you know, all of these questions are always going to be, you know, who, uh, who, which, why, when, where, and how, right? So you have to answer those questions about everything. Why your product? Why does it solve that problem? What is unique about your product that is differentiated such that every Joe Blow in the world can't make the same exact product and cheaper in China? Right? You, you really need to go down why that product. And then, then, you, then we can talk about the people because uh, you know, I don't care about the people unless I care about the problem. Right? And, the, and the people are going to be, um, do I think they'll eat glass? Do I think the CEO will eat glass? How about his staff? Do I think they can take this to the next level? Not could they take it, not are they doing a Zuckerberg where go from one company out to one person up to I don't know how many people work at Facebook, 100,000 people. It don't have to be the CEO the whole way. You know, Bob Metcalf says there's five orders of CEOs, right? Each one based on what type of company he's running, right? And you need a different CEO as you go through each gear. So can they get it to the next level, the next investment level? Maybe um, they want to bring in somebody else because that guy really wants to be doing the dev work. And he's not getting to do the dev work anymore because he's too busy being the CTO or he wants to be the strategist. There's lots of reasons to change CEOs. But do I think the, the people can get it to the next level? And that's the next. And then the final one, the B is, what is the business model? How do you make money, right? And it, you, you, you laugh, but you'd be surprised how many companies say, we're going to make money uh, on ad revenue. Yeah, right. So, you know, how do you make money? And, and I love companies that are Disruptive, not just in the technology, but in the business model, right? There is exciting companies who are like, 
we're making this creative new product, we're going to sell it for this, customers are going to buy it because of this, but the reality is we make most of our money over on this half of it, right? And so that, oh, there's, there's two revenue streams coming from this uh, is awesome. So, you know, I wear a Fitbit, right? So I have to pay, I don't, the cheapest Fitbit's maybe 60 bucks, the most expensive, like 250 bucks. Uh, I'm sure the hardware costs pretty close to that, right? They sell, and then I have this service for free. There's no subscription to Fitbit, it's free. Why? Because they're monetizing my data. They're clearly using my data and, and I'm the product, right? But I got something for what I wanted. And so I'm okay with that. Okay with that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that kind of says, if you can do sales such that um, you make my sales team better, the world will be the path to your doorstep. Really, uh, we would all love that. Hi, my name is Rocky. Waltec RV. We manufacture smart thermostats for RVs. Um, How is that different than Nest for RVs? Okay, that's a good question. <laughs> Nest won't work in RVs. RVs run on DC power. That comes of battery and everything in RV. That's the reason RVs don't have a smart ecosystem. And Nest runs on 24 volt AC. And not just that the wiring is not standardized, everything. So one example, there's only one wiring for all homes for HVAC. RVs have more than 10 wiring, so you can't put a single home thermostat in RVs. All right, I'll ask another question, but, but Nick's going to get upset because you'll be making a pitch, uh, a pitch if I do. <laughs> go, go ahead. Go, what, what's your question? No, I was just basically asking about it's a hardware product, and how is the hardware ecosystem for investments and, and things like that? I would love to see more hardware deals, really. We, we don't see enough hardware deals. It's, there was a point in time where everything was hardware, and then people said, uh, uh, you know, hardware doesn't exist anymore. The reality is, hardware is good business. I mean, you know when you sold a piece of hardware. There's no question about counting there. There's no pirating hardware. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Gary, I'm Rodrigo Alvarez from Elysium Robotics. Rodrigo! I still want my window washer. <laughs> um, essentially, we're replacing electric motors with something that looks like a muscle and enables building a whole new generation of very capable robots, very low cost. Um, we are at Deep Tech. Core technology needs to mature. We've been doing grants, etc. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you want a 10x return, but you didn't uh, say how long do you want that return. What is your thinking in that space? And um, and what do you suggest for like deep tech companies? How, how do they engage? Where the where do the angels fit into that space? Yeah, that, that's that's a great question. So we'll go back to one of the uh, one data point I did give is like we look for a 31 percent IRR, right? So that. Now, now you've got a time tied to your, 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 your return on cash. So um, you're doing, from the one minute of information I've heard, um, I gather you're doing something that is more research science centric than we're productizing this immediately. We've got to figure out how this works. And you know the concept of emulating the human body or, or animals is, you know, you can, you can watch a Star Wars movie, right, and see the robots they're using uh, and the war machines they're using are all emulating animals, right? And so there's clearly, you know, I'm not saying George Lucas is, is you know, you know uh, Jules Verne, but the concept of this makes sense totally exists. And so as that matures, there's a huge business there, but that was the key line, as that matures. And so businesses that are in the science, research, figuring it out stage, that's more that friends and family level is like, you know, 
you can't tap your friends and family often enough to make that happen. So it's, it's grants, it's NIH, it's DARPA. There, there's monies out there for doing cool stuff like that. And that sounds like really cool stuff, right? And so I can imagine at some point in time, uh, um, uh, prosthetics, using that kind of technology for warriors who've, who've lost a limb where you're now creating mechanical muscles that allow a hand to work. And by the way, if you're doing that, one of my kids is very interested in, in, in going down that path, so she'll, she'll want a job there. So um, that kind of concept of how do we make huge disruptive changes is something we're super interested in, but we're not investing on a 30-year time horizon, right? We're, we're investing on that kind of five to seven-year time horizon. And if your product is the 10 to 20 year time horizon, that's a different funding model. Hello, uh, my name is Lucy. I'm from Big Sister Eye. We're in the same company. And uh, um, you see a lot of SaaS companies and you see the uh, bad companies, <laughs> nice companies, maybe successful, which became. Uh, how do you think uh, when you build company, uh, what first focuses you want to see in the startup. Because sometimes when, for example, companies which receive money from you, they can spend it to product mostly or marketing mostly. What general focuses you want to see in startup to understand that, yeah, there, there will be great company, make big million dollars <laughs> receive me. Uh, what do you think? What is the general focuses need to have Spending there, the so yeah. Yeah, so spending the money, um, back to that kind of investment discussion with where the friends and family are, are, are funding that uh, early, early uh, progress, and that angels want to be investing at when you're starting to show signs of life, right? And so investing to finish the development of something that is far along, right? So it, it doesn't, I'm not saying you're in, in full Rev2 production, that, that isn't it, but give me something that wiggles. You should be talking to customers, and not just talking to customers, they should be using your product to some degree. I'm not saying the whole product, but it's gotta have some form of life, right? You have to remove, you have to remove some risk from the table. You have to have something out there. You, I want, I like to see customer feedback. Yeah. Sometimes customer feedback is, we sure like that product. You know, we would sure like to have that product. It's a real problem. Uh, and if you have that product, they'll write an LOI. To, if, when you have that product, we would buy that product. That's a piece of customer feedback, right? That's a piece of real feedback. It's like, if they're gonna document their interest, that's, that says something. When you say about uh, CEO, you're, you're looking for the people. And sometimes in startups, you can see nice, people who are doing nice products, but they're doing bad marketing. And how can you understand that this startup is doing, uh, maybe you explain them, say, hey guys, marketing first <laughs> in this time, uh, come, on, come on here, or how to understand where is this, the uh, general focus now? Um, do you help them to understand these things, or no, how, how it's... Uh, yeah, so... There's a couple of things. Let me see if I can unpack this. One, um, startups, kind of at the level angels are involved, there isn't a lot of marketing going on, right? You have development uh, or you have sales. If you've got a bunch of people in marketing, either you're a pretty good sized company or uh, we might need to talk about 
making those salespeople. Right? So you should be either working on the product on the development side or talking to customers. And if you're marketing people talking to customers, I'm going to call them new business development. Or you can make a lot of cool words for sales, right? I don't want, to, I don't want a lot of people in any other organization besides those two organizations. Because you're a small group, you, you have to be very narrowly focused. Um, uh, so you shouldn't be spending a lot of money on, on classic marketing. Uh, just like you shouldn't be spending a lot of money on uh, um, buying AdWords and, and other, other kinds of things that say you're not talking to your customer. Uh, so uh, that, was, that was part one. Second one is um, all of your effort needs to be in engaging your customers. Mm -hmm. I, I can't say this enough. If a company is got a great product and is now working on Rev 7 of their cool product and still hasn't talked to a customer, that is a failure, right? Uh, and, and I think we can all get it. I, I made it, I, I intentionally extracted the Rev 7, but we all get that that's a failure. You need to be talking to your customer before you have Rev 1, right? You need to be engaged, because you need to be asking what they need. Now, they're not gonna be right. I, I'll tell you this, you know, if you ask people what they wanted in the 1900s, it would have been a faster horse. That isn't really the solution you're looking for. You're going to change it. You're going to be disruptive. You're going to bring in something, something they never experienced. So they're not even going to know to ask for the right thing. But you need to know what the problem is so that you can best solve that problem. So that's kind of the direction you want to go. Uh, and so you need to be heavily engaged there. Uh, so one of the things I didn't say is, you know, we take, at CTAN we take a lot of data. I talked about loving KPIs. And I, I know my team was like, oh, KPIs. So uh, one, of, one of the data points we, 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 we track is on the companies we don't invest in. Right? So we, we don't invest in 98% of the companies. In, of the companies we don't invest in, how well do they do? Because it really says how well we're doing. Are we picking the winners, right? Companies we invest in have a 9x higher probability of returning a positive outcome than companies we don't invest in. So really, we spend a lot of time doing our homework. It's not a secret. We just do our due diligence. But if we don't invest them, there's a reason, and, and we don't invest in most of the companies supply. And so you know, nobody likes to hear they don't like your baby, right? So, it's like, so you have to say something nice, like, here's the three things I think are an issue and why we didn't invest. But the vast majority of companies aren't going to have it right the first time. Hopefully they come back. It's like, here's the three things. Oh, well, I can do that one, and I can do that one. And sometimes it's, here's three things, and I can connect you to a guy who can go do that. One of those things. You've got to do the other ones on your own. But, we want companies in Central Texas to do well. I mean, we're giving back. We want more startups in this area. I mean, we're here. I, I leave the door open when I'm in the office. People wander in all the time. I have lots of discussions with uh, nascent startups, and it's like, what are you doing? How are you doing? It's like, well, what about this? And so one of the things you said is, what if they're heading in the wrong direction? Well, one, it's your company. I can't make you go in the right direction. I can share my thoughts and guarantee I'll do that because you're using my money to go in the wrong direction, right? So, so I, I really want you to go in the right direction, but it's your company. I'll have, when I say I, I'll talk about the whole angel investment will be 20%, right? You own the majority of the company. You have to make the decision. In fact, we invested in you as the CEO to go do that. We're not running the business, you are. We'll give our thoughts. Uh, this is not, a, you know, when your sales are going down, this is not good. You should make the sales go up, right? And it's like maybe those three people you have in marketing would be better salespeople than marketing people. So 
But that's really what's going to happen. We're not going to force you to do it. In fact, we can't force you to do anything. Gary, thank you for coming here, sharing your insights. Thank you for representing CTAN. It's very clear CTAN's opened countless doors for people in our ecosystem. Uh, like you mentioned, your office here on the fifth floor is often has an open door. You got connected. We also are, uh, just last night had Claire Hansen, your former investment director, who was promoted to partner at Firebrand Ventures, and she had a lot of great things to say about your organization. So more than anything, want to thank you uh, on behalf of the Capital Factory community for being here. And uh, if y'all want to welcome or join me and thank him as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Austinpreneur. Don't forget to check out capitalfactory.com to learn more about us and join our community. If you have thoughts about the show or ideas on how we can work together, reach out to me directly via email. Nick Spiller at CapitalFactory.com. Shout out to the Capital Factory Dream Team for making this podcast possible. And special thanks to Aaron Handworker, who masterfully recorded and edited the show. Come back next week for a whole new episode. Mm -hmm.